Hi everyone, this is Matt Price, host of Dynasty Game Night. My co-host John Bosch and I created this podcast for one reason, to focus on fun. After all, fun is the reason we all started playing fantasy football in the first place. I love games of all sorts, card games, board games, video games, really any kind of game you can think of. So one day, John and I decided it was time for a podcast where we just play games. You might learn something along the way, but you won't find much hard-hitting analysis here. Check out all the other incredible podcasts DLF has to offer for that sort of thing. On Dynasty Game Night, our primary focus is to entertain. So if you like playing games or watching game shows, this might just be the podcast for you. We'd love for you to give it a listen and play along with the contestants and maybe even win a chance to be on the show. Welcome back to the Dynasty Crossroads, a member of the DLF family of podcasts. My name is Peter Howard at PA Howdy. I'm your sole host these days, second day sitting here alone at the crossroads, having fun, having fun out here, to be honest. Um, it's not a great season for guests, apparently, unless you're every other podcast. I recently, um, I just went on the Dynasty Game Night podcast. If you want to see me get owned by um, the Zookeeper and John Bosch alike, I don't know, I, I felt like I hold my own. Um, they they didn't. They laughed. They laughed pretty heavily. Um, but I was also on the Open Bar podcast a few nights ago as well. If you'd like, check that out to see me get owned in a more social setting as well. Lots of lots of being owned out there, which is great. Great to see. Um, a few different reactions to last week's podcast. One kind of divided by fifty fifty, which I guess is about right. Not everyone's going to like everything you do, so fifty fifty is about right. Some enjoying the um more off the cuff, just uh, initial unbiased look um at what i saw initially with players um some people uh th- thought it was terrible <laughs> they thought it was terrible and sounded too unprepared didn't like my um running back lack of enthusiasm at all uh, it is what it is um i know it's rookie season and something that someone mentioned about last week's podcast they didn't uh expect to hear me uncertain but the, the truth of it is i'm mostly uncertain i think that's one of my largest my largest assets i disbelieve everything try to argue the opposite and certainty is just where i go and you have no other choice like uh, this is the time of year i allow myself to be more uncertain the most as well because we we know the least about most of the conversations going on right now really it's time to dig into 2019 or enjoy the playoffs and instead we're all talking about the thing we know the least about and the least important information about right now um so I know it's rookie season, and I'm working hard to put more content out there. I haven't written an article, and I don't plan to for a few weeks about 2019 or anything else. Like, I'm I'm letting everything simmer. I'm trying to enjoy the playoffs. Um, I actually have more classes starting for my actual job, and I have done nothing on that, by the way. Um, so my students can blame you guys. Um, <laughs> I best get to that, I guess. Um, but I've actually pushed out my NFL database update for 2019, combined with my market share database for college prospects. Like, that's all out there now. I'm, I'm still fine-tuning, as I always am. I want to run some new models and test some things, but mostly all my data's out there, including my Red Zone database and my updated ARDs, um, which you can get free from ARDs.com, but I do a few things with it and try and marry it to my NFL database. That's all out there, just 
go go follow my pin tweet whatever um and you've got access to it now um but i'm not gonna do a lot of talking about rookies tonight sorry i know it's a season but like someone someone's gonna slowly roll um and there are some interesting questions i actually got one from someone who's a patreon um that's not the only reason i'm an- answering it tonight or looking at it tonight um but it is a question i have myself and i started to look at it briefly because i'm a terrible podcast guest while i was talking on the uh, the open bar i just started looking through some things and some numbers popped and so i'd like to give my what i noticed about juju season which might not be easily read right off the cuff just from his outright numbers or the fact he missed a bunch of games and only played in 12 and you know um everyone's going to talk about the situation i guess but his value is a really interesting point right now i think it's dropping and i don't entirely agree with that um i do think my hopes for his value really obviously have not come true i thought another good another solid season even a top 12 season at his age with his hype coming into this year that could have promoted him to the dynasty wide receiver one and we would have recruited instant value that's clearly not going to happen but the backup plan was always he's really young and we already know he's really good so that's where we're at but i want to talk a little bit more in depth about his season looking at some of his um production numbers and the team production numbers as well um just to state some rookie curiosity i guess um like i said my database is out there but one thing i've been looking at running back so i've just been digging down um looking at historical comps like i have a pre-draft model and a post-draft model which obviously isn't relative to the 2020 class right now we don't have combine data or draft capital data um but some things that are noticing if you want a proxy just a quick glance which is really what we should be aiming for right now just a quick glance of who they were in college and um, yards per touch in my database proved not not great nothing's great um but a really interesting overview of the past six or seven classes as i was looking at it and then, so that's an interesting set just to get yourself a quick glance at who these players are and what they did in college two noticeable exceptions were levy on bell and Arian foster just through the draft classes that i looked at both came up around five five point five t- uh, yards per touch which isn't great like six or over was noticeably decent seven or over was good um, and the top prospects in every RB class that I looked at were the most interesting for most draft classes of the last six or seven, like I said. Um, again, not a ranking, but it, it was an interesting overview. So I'd take a look at that. Um, Edne, I think, uh, came out in the top in this class so far in the uh, yards per touch. And that's the other thing. So far, it's not just I haven't fit perfected the data or I haven't finished looking. Like, there are rookies that we don't even know we're going to be interested in yet. And um, Despite this class being so long and so long hyped, data bursts aren't out. They're not on the list. There's always a surprise at the combine or a surprise in the draft or seven. And um, so we didn't probably even don't have a full view, not just because the ones I haven't declared, but the ones who are declaring or will declare that we're not yet including in our judgment. So um, another interesting point to put on the class, like it might expand. I would say, though, that um, I am seeing more of the depth that people have been talking about, like Zachary of the Dynasty Dummies podcast. Um, a known number of players in the running back class scored over 12 in my pre-draft model now my pre-draft model like i've told you i don't trust my running back models but i'm trying to put that in more context if my pre-draft running back model was a person like it could come in my house it could hang out and come for a visit 
if it came over too often i would i would be like really annoyed it was intruding on my time though and i wouldn't let it alone with my kids while it was in the house my post draft model you know i'd leave the room to go get a drink it's fine it's safe and it could probably come over whenever it wanted for my running back post draft model pre-draft model you know pro- probably not if if that puts <laughs> any kind of extra context on what those two do for you or do for me that's kind of the way I think of them. You know, it's allowed in. I don't think it's untrustworthy. I think it's, I think it's fine. I think it's a good person. I just, you know, I just hope it doesn't come around too much and I wouldn't leave it alone with the kids. That's all I'm saying. Um, and also, uh, for the running back, because in the, po- in the pre-draft model, like two players scored over 14. It's basically on a scale from 0 to 14. It's basically the scale. For over 14 points in my pre-draft model is fairly rare. Um, the max any class has ever had is two players, and the 2020 class has equaled that. And so that's a sign that there is some of the ceiling that some people have been talking about. But again, as I posted on Twitter, like a lot of the players that score well in the pre-draft model, again, where I'd let it in my house, but not alone with my children, like, you know, hmm, some of the better prospects outside of like Dalvin Cook and outside of um, Saquon Barkley that score in this range, um, they're like Justin Jackson and Brian Hill, who I was excited about too, but I'm really hoping like uh, the players don't go that direction, drafted behind other backs, low in the draft. Uh, that's still a pot- potential, even just looking at my pre-draft model. All right, uh, enough rookies. Um, let's talk about some non-rookies for a second, shall we? Uh, so Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, you may notice um, they didn't quite have the season a lot of us were hoping. Where, where did he finish overall? Um, one of the things I've got open should be able to tell me. So Juju Smith-Schuster finished as a 62nd PPR-ranked wide receiver. So that's not points per game. That's just uh, his overall fantasy points for 62nd, um, according to my new NFL database, um, for the wide receiver position. He finished 30, 30th in 2007, that great rookie season that he had, and he was 8th last year. Uh, as we know, in 2018. So a precipitous drop. He did only play 12 games, not 14 or 16 like he did in the season before. We know he was hampered a little bit, but I'm not really looking to take that excuse. Even with 12 games with the type of player I think Judas Smith-Schuster is, he definitely should have outproduced what he did. Let's just accept that. Um, his production was low even for the season he had, even with Mason Rudolph. I, d- I do think the significant... Se- se- noise here to suggest that Judo didn't play up to what he had played his ability in 2018 or even 2017 let's not say um he didn't play badly hopefully as I get some guests on uh, as the season the off season winds up and um I I can get some more people in here to talk to me that they can provide more of a tape view or more of an on-field view but even the numbers, it's pretty clear he didn't play as well. For example, um, just looking at his A-yards data, one of my favorite ways to evaluate players' opportunity, but if we're looking for efficiency, how well a player performed on this opportunity, like I say, it's, it still shows three wasn't quite the player we can expect of him. For example, he had a 0.78 racer score, or 78% if you just want a nicer number. Um, two years prior to that, he was at uh, basically a 1, so 100% efficiency. Again, that it's not meant to be a percentage, so 100% sounds impossible, which is. Um, but sometimes converting it to a percentage is just an easier number for people who aren't numbers-oriented to get in their heads. Um, I do it for myself quite often. Um, for reference, about 0.7 is about average wide receivers. Not 
average top 12, average top 24, but just players who are getting a significant number of targets and receptions, you'd expect them to be about 0.7. That's like the baseline I put on for a player I don't know a lot about in my projection model, like for example. If I think they're slightly bad, I'll go slightly under 0.7. If I think they're slightly better, even though we haven't seen a lot of them, I'll go slightly over 0.7. 0.8 is where you're looking at a very good efficiency season. That player has been playing well in his touches, just based on this one efficiency stat, which is a really good one from AODS.com and Josh Hansmeyer. And again, Juju Smith-Schuster, one of the things we loved about him was he was insanely efficient. He was top-tier efficiency, as well as opportunity, as well as draft capital, as well as college production. Like, he never put a foot wrong. Um, and that's something else I'd say there. This is the first thing Juju Smith-Schuster has ever done on a football field that fantasy football hasn't loved. So the drop in value and the, 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 the overwoe is me about I drafted Juju Smith-Schuster, like he did one thing one year was not absolutely amazing. And in fact, looking at his numbers, why I say I don't think he's playing up to the player he is, that's based on his personal curve. Based on an average player, Juju Smith-Schuster was great. He was definitely better than an average player with his opportunity and with what he did. He just wasn't a megastar with it. And I, I think I'm willing to give him one pass of just being, okay, that's fine. Especially if we want to bake into some other situation. But um, let's get to that later. So um, his efficiency was down for him, but it was definitely, it was even above average for an average wide receiver in the NFL getting significant volume. So I'm not overly worried about like his talent disappeared or anything like that, anything crazy like that. Um, but... There were some things I wanted to note here. One, just looking, one of the reasons I like to use not just the database that AR's put out, but they've got a graph section. If you go to um, players and then receiver efficiency, you can make a bunch of graphs for their career, for individual years, and plot like their, their yards after catch based on their touches or their efficiency based on their depth of target. And they're, they're really good visualizations of how a player performed. One of my first stops to try and break down whether a player was playing badly, what happened with his season, where, whether it's positive or negative. Um, so one thing I was looking at with Juju Smith-Schuster was this yards after catch number. There's been a lot posted about it by much smarter people than me trying to break down the NFL. One of the things that seems to be proving true from the higher, the higher brain folks look into analytics is that yards after the catch, for example, is uh, much more about placement and depth of target, like uh, low depth of targets and um, with good placement produces yards after the catch. Now, there, there is exceptions to this rule. Further down the field, it's hard to get yards after the catch, in other words. And you've got exceptions in both directions. You've got uh, Deshaun Jackson, who's always going to have mega numbers yards after the catch, as well as Ted Ginn and other types. Um, and then you've got Mike Evans, pretty much on an island by himself, to get that level of volume and that poor yards after catch. But this isn't a Mike Evans podcast um, yet. Um so, Juju Smith-Schuster's most of his targets for the first three years come in a range where you should expect decent uh, completion percentage, reception percentage, um, and decent yards after the catch. And that's actually what it produced for his first two seasons. But just looking at the table under the graph here from yards.com, it just struck to me that he got 713 air yards and only 228 yards after the catch. Now, it just looks low, but I really can't assess, you know, I'm not... Numbers don't roll off the roll off my tongue, right? I have to go investigate where, that in context. So what I went and did is found out what percentage of Juju Smith-Schuster's receiving yards were actually yards after the catch. And in 2019, again, percentages are just even easy for a, a layman like me. Um, 
Let me see. Uh, let me see if I can get the order right here. In 2019, about 41.5% of his yards came after the catch. His receiving yards came after the catch. So that was interesting, but I needed to put that in more context. So what I did is I looked back at his past two years. Um, in his rookie season, 48%, or pretty much 49% of his receiving yards were actually yards after the catch. And in 2018, last year, his top 12 season, 46.9%, so again, pretty much 47% um, of his receiving yards came after the catch. So that's like a 5 to 6 7% drop in terms of his receiving yards no longer coming after the catch. So there was a significant jump in yards after the catch, and considering what those higher brains have been talking about with placement and A dot. That gave me somewhere to get into what could have been causing that. So I was looking at his ADOT, and this first year, it's the lowest ADOT he had in his career so far. It's 8.4. But the following two years, they've both been 10.3 and 10.2 in order from 2017, 18, and 19. So... With the loss of Antonio Brown, I definitely think his targets got pushed further down the field, like lots of people predicted. Now, looking at his broad view yards after the catch and completion percentage, based on what the high brains were talking about, what produces yards after the catch and completion percentage, further down the field, Juju Smith-Schuster, I think, is showing a lack of efficiency and a lack of ability, just based on, you know, two years, which still isn't enough. We won't know who he is until his career is finished, but we have a significant enough sample right now i think to say that some of those fears that pushing him further down the field was worse for him and um, now a lot of people that viewed him on tapes suggested that i couldn't really see it in the numbers that i looked at but i just knew he was good and for the first few years that worked out well but um i definitely think some of those concerns were born through in 2019 this last season but, again, bake into the situation to adjust for that a bit. I definitely think Juju Smith-Schuster has more to do down the field than we've currently seen. But it is interesting to see that borne through with some of the completions percentage compared to average numbers. Now, again, his ADOT, the average depth of his targets beyond the line of scrimmage, was about the same as it was last year, even with the loss of Antonio Brown. So it's not like he was pushed ultimately down the field. And, again, the reason I'm pointing that out is because Juju probably should have done better with a player that we know he is. And that's where I'm taking that point from. His ADOT wasn't so far down the field that in a, he was playing in such a different role that he shouldn't be able to do more of what he's typically capable of. But we know that things happen in regression. You can't hit 10 out of 10 every time. And like I said, this is the first time Juju Smith-Schuster hasn't been batting 9 or 10 out of 10. So let's that, that's, that's be harsh on him in context, shall we? Um. Anyway, uh, just to go a little further into the context, like this drop of five to six to seven percent of his receiving yards coming no longer after the catch, like a seven percent drop in his receiving yards um, being before the catch, essentially what he was delivered rather than what he produced after he caught it. Um, I wanted to know in context, is that typical for most wide receivers? Like forty-eight point nine percent in his rookie season, the. 49% of his uh, receiving yards came after the catch. Is he overly dependent on yards after the catch? And that's what happened last year. The drop in it seriously hurt him because normally he's producing more yards after the catch. And there's a lot of way of looking at that. And I was just using the air yard database. And an interesting quirk of the air yard database and why I normally merit to my own NFL database is the positions, um, like wide receiver, running back, tight end, they seem to get defunct really quickly. Like by the time you get to 2019, if you go download the AR database right now, like almost everyone 
is listed as unknown. Like Ariam Foster, Rob Gronkowski, these guys are listed as unknown. Pretty much if they retire or aren't in the NFL anymore, they lose their position designation. Really wish they'd fix that, but they're putting out so much great content, I'm not going to complain ever. So um, that means that doing an average the way I did became tricky, but I think I did figure out a formula to get a pretty good perspective on what most wide receivers with their type of volume, with Juju Smith-Schuster type of volume, should do. So not to bore you with it, but that's essentially what I looked at. I broke down... Um, the average yards after the catch for wide receivers with Juju Smith-Schuster's type of volume and production every year. All right, let's not uh, cross your eyes by trying to read you a list of numbers on a podcast. Um, This isn't a video, and you're not looking at the numbers, and I know that can be difficult. But essentially, what I found is that the average yards after the catch for most wide receivers with Juju Smith-Schuster's volume, with with his type of role... um, it's a base about what he's been doing. In fact, he's a little under-dependent on it. So he's not getting as many yards after the catch as the average player with his type of volume. Now, you could think Mike Evans, but to put this in perspective, I'm talking about 1% or 2% less than average. Um, Mike Evans gets 20 to 30% less than average wide receivers with his kind of volume in yards after the catch. Like, it's phenomenally low. And again, not a Mike Evans podcast. He produced really well this year. Again, for his second time. Yay, go Mike Evans. Um, but again, different players play different ways. Um, and taking in a little bit of variance here because of the positions, I think Juju Smith-Schuster's yards after catch is typically about normal for a player with his type of volume. That's essentially what I'm telling you. But in 2019, it was significantly lower, like his yards after catch compared to his receiving yards, to be fair. You should expect it to be slightly less, less than average since his he's dropped compared to his own average, and in fact it did. It was about 10%, just under 10% less um, than wide receivers with his type of volume in yards after the catch. Now, going back to what those high brains were thinking, the two things that essentially explain yards after the catch, apart from Mike Evans, who's just weird. Um, you've got placement and ADOT, and whereas ADOT was almost identical to last year, and he's still getting a lower percentage of his receiving yards after the catch, and a lower percentage compared to average after the catch, what's left is placement. And that brings us back to something that I normally don't do, which is talk about the situation and the quarterback. Ben Roethlisberger was down, bless him, and Mason Rudolph was in, yeah, kind of bless him, bless his tiny little cotton socks, um, and he was nowhere near, obviously, the quarterback Big Ben is, and I don't think he was able to produce average quarterback numbers, which every wide receiver needs average, or they're already struggling. Very few wide receivers can elevate by themselves. Is Juju Smith-Schuster one of them? I think so, but based on his one opportunity when the rest of the team was definitely below average, he didn't elevate himself, let alone the rest of the team. And that is concerning. I think that's where the value concerns and drop on him comes from. But reading into the situation further, considering it to be more about ball placement, considering it to be more about he lost games and the team was struggling, that for me pushes it the the responsibility of further away from what's Mike's what's Juju Smith Schuster's ceiling and more on to this team was in serious um, disarray for a lot of different reasons. So I dug into his raw numbers instead of just looking at air yards and A dot and all that stuff a little, a little bit more. Um, and what I did is when I was Rotoviz and looked at their expected points model. If you don't know what an expected points model is, 
Me neither. I actually don't know what goes into their expected points model because they're all a little different. I do run an expected points model for the red zone, though, so I know the logic behind it. And essentially what you do is you wait every opportunity for a player based on how valuable it is. So some targets are easier to catch, some targets are harder to catch, some targets... Um, um, easier to get yards after the catch or bigger receiving numbers and some are harder and so you weight all of them based on an average of how difficult they are and then you judge a player by how much opportunity was he getting how valuable was it how many points should you expect them to get based on their opportunity based on those weightings essentially expected points is a volume metric as well but it's weighting it based on where they're getting the ball on the field so it makes it a little more of an intricate look and then if you look at fantasy points over-expected or under-expected, you get to see a much clearer view of whether they were efficient, whether they were doing more with their touches than can be expected based on the average. Now, I didn't look... I'm not going to talk about whether he was over or under. I've already said he, his fantasy points over-expected was about average. He didn't do badly on it. Again, he just wasn't exceeding um, his opportunities is essentially the lesson from 2019, which you do hope a player with, that we had such a valuation on in the offseason can elevate. But I, I am given that slight asterisk on the team situation in general, and I'm going to dig into that in a little bit uh, in a second. But um, what I wanted to look at was at his opportunity. Like He got 105 expected points. But again, a number by itself provides no context. So what I wanted to do is note based on on his target share, was that a lot or a little? Was he getting a lot of valuable opportunity based on how the percentage of the team's targets he was getting, or was he getting a little bit? And um, so I did his whole, well, I did everyone, but just looking at his three years, and his first year he got 104 expected points, so about the same. But based on his target share, he was only about 32 expected points away from average, so slightly lower. But again, he was a rookie, and he only had 12% target share. In 2019, he had 14% target share on only 12 games, um, but about the same number of expected points. So already, uh, it kind of tells a story just saying that. But I actually did work out what it was below average, and it was 55 points below average. So about 20 expected points below average, even based on his target share. So he was getting less valuable opportunity, even with more targets, um, than his uh, a larger target share than his opportunity then it already tells you something about his situation and then getting to get to the red zone in a minute which really shows it off um, to spectacular effect in my opinion and last year by the way he was 25 points over expected or he got 25 um, more expected points than you would expect based on target share and that's just where he was killing it and the type of things that we hoped and I, I still think he's kind of capable of so um, the last thing I want to look at here, or I'll talk to you about, because I know this is probably a lot longer and a lot of numbers, but um, I looked at my expected points model, but my expected points model is taken directly from, by the way, in case I haven't mentioned this enough, it's um, actually TJ Hernandez's uh, expected points model that he uses in the red zone. I've modified it for myself. I like to think I've made it my own, but it was entirely taught to me by him. I'm not saying th this is something I came up with. He even literally, he's got a video out there that shows you how to go get the data and update it. Um, I forget where that is. Um, some roster coach or something, or it used to be. It's really great, um, but I put out a history of it just in case you want to see the results. So it's waiting opportunity based on where players were getting targets, rush attempts, or pass attempts inside the red zone. So between the 20 and the 16, the 16 and the 10, and the 10 and the 5. So like it's easier to get a rushing touchdown inside the 5 than inside the 20, so both have a different expectation, right? 
in terms of fantasy points. And same thing with receivers with targets. Some are easier than others to score touchdowns on. All right. But it wasn't even the expected points model that really caught my eye when I went to look at it. Um, In 2017, Juju Smith-Schuster, as a rookie with only 12% target share, he got 15 targets inside the red zone. And where did he get them? He got the majority of them between the the 20 and the 16-yard line, so not even the most valuable targets. But he actually still scored, uh, what was it, 30 red zone points, and it was actually overly efficient. He's caught more touchdowns than you'd expect with that kind of touches. In 2018, his mega season, he still got the majority of touches um, inside the 20 to 16-yard line, interestingly enough, but he also got eight inside the five-yard line, again, where he was heavily targeted in the red zone last year. Um, So he got 15 targets inside the 20-yard line as a rookie, 28 inside the red red zone as a top 12 player in 2018. Turned to 2019, he got seven. Yeah, I slowed down just so that that could have that effect. He got seven targets. Um... But, you know, maybe maybe that was uh, the same percentage of touches, um, and it was just the, the team was getting inside the red zone a lot less. And so what I did is I dug back through the history I've got of this, and I found that in 2018, um, the Steelers went to the red zone or had 227 touches, passes, rushes, and targets um, inside the red zone. In 2019, the team had 151. So definitely 100 less targets or 100 less touches in the red zone is a significant drop, which, you know, they went 8-8 eight eight this season. I still really don't know how they managed it with these type of numbers. Um, but they had a fairly poor season, so you'd expect them to be in the red zone a lot less. But 7? Seven? 7 was who was getting the targets. And in fact, if you look at 2019, no one really dominated in terms of targets inside the red zone. The highest um, red zone touch uh, in, tar- in target share and for the team was nine, and that was Vance McDonald. You've also got Deontay Johnson getting seven, with a similar distribution to Juju Smith-Schuster, interestingly enough. He actually scored a touchdown on it, though. Juju Smith-Schuster got no touchdowns. Um, you can't really, and based on my red zone points model, you can't expect a touchdown with their level of targets. Deontay Johnson's a little over-expected, and Juju Smith-Schuster's a little under-expected because one scored a touchdown and one didn't. They really weren't getting enough volume that you should even expect them to catch any more than zero to one touchdowns. So Jesus Wishishter wasn't even ineffective or inefficient in the red zone. He just got no volume there. And what I do see comparing the past seasons with Ben Roethlisberger compared to Mason Rudolph, and, you know, there's a lot of variance in there, but overall no one was getting a high proportion, whereas over the last few years there were not only more touches, but there were players getting significant. He was focusing specific players. What I also noticed compared to different years is that Mason Rudolph, or whoever was throwing them, uh, whether it was Delvin Hodges or Mason Rudolph in any situation, um, the running backs and tight ends were getting a higher proportion of red zone targets. And that goes back to ADOT and placement. Everything I look at for this team suggests they not only spread the ball out, they spread the ball out a lot closer to the line of scrimmage. That's what explains Red Zone, uh, Jalen Samuels actually being the target leader inside the red zone outside of Vance McDonald with eight. And you've also got James Washington, Deontay Johnson, um, all these guys getting seven to two to seven targets, and James Conner getting five. The the Red zone targets were getting pushed more towards tight ends and running backs closer to the line of scrimmage, even within the twenty yard line compared to the four yard compared to the five yard line. 
So essentially, one of the, one of the places that Juju Smith-Schuster's point straight up, despite being above average in efficiency and decent with his targets, more we would expect more from the type of player he is. He did badly for him, but compared to most players, he did fine. But you can't score points without the ball, and he literally wasn't being thrown the ball despite what um, expected points were showing us, that he had 105, which is similar to what he did in his rookie season. Like, inside the red zone, they were gone. He had no targets, basically, or no targets that we could expect him to score touchdowns on, and touchdowns are where the majority, oftentimes, fantasy points come from. So, the red zone breakdown of the Steelers as a team... And remember, DeAndre Johnson did really well this season. Like, that's a, that's a prospect we were iffy on, but kind of liked coming in. And, um, you know, lots of people like because we went to the Steelers and they, they have a weird process. But he did produce well in college. And him showing this well is really positive for him. I'm not taking uh, just as a flyby here. Let's, let's point out DeAndre Johnson did really well. Certainly better than DeAndre Moncrief. Um, so he's someone that we should, we should definitely be interested in Dynasty. But I still think Judas Smith-Schuster seems to be the the one i do think he has a higher upside and overall going back to just what i think of receiving opportunity deontre johnson being good is good for juju smith schuster if deontre johnson can keep improving that's even better for juju smith schuster so it doesn't bring me down on juju if anything it gives me more hope the situation can improve and that can help juju smith schuster and so what it all comes down to and that's probably where most people are going to take it let's face it this offseason is will the team improve um, improve is a strong word, or maybe it's an overly harsh word. Like Mason Rudolph, for all the fun we could have at him, and I'm sure we could, um, he said some not so nice things, or some people said some not nice things to him. I honestly have no idea. Um, but as a player, he, I think he was below average. Could he improve? Sure. Could Ben Roethlisberger come back? Yes, in which case yeah, that would be a vast improvement because that quarterback is above average, which is always positive. But... I think even another year in the system, having played more with Mason Rudolph, with Deontay Johnson coming on, even before we really dig into the Steelers in 2020, there's enough reason to expect that the team shouldn't have as dire problems getting into the red zone as it did this year. I do think that if it remains Mason Rudolph, we have concerns because his tendency in his small tenure as quarterback has been to throw inefficient poor passes close to the line of scrimmage to other players which tends to be a sign of a player not being able to uh, for to steal a film term here make the big throws now hopefully someone will come on and say that's not happening on tape pete mason rudolph can make big throws and maybe he can but he's spreading them to jalen samuels overly compared to the team average and compared to most most teams and and no one's getting focused highly enough despite the fact we know at least juju smith schuster and apparently Durante johnson a, sig- a significantly distance themselves in target share that we know these guys are better than the majority of his options, but he's not finding them in the red zone. And a lack of red zone opportunities because the team was struggling anyway, if we if we need more answers to that, um, compared to last year or most NFL teams. So I just realized I've gone past the 30-minute mark. Normally I try to get under, especially when it's just me. Um, so... I'm going to leave it there. There's more you can say. I'm interested to see what other people find, but those that's what stood out to me when I started breaking down Judas Smith-Schuster's role. Now, I do think that some of the ceiling where the situation is uncertain, but that can spike both ways. Uncertainty means it can spike up, it can spike down. Um, so there is still upside there. I am more concerned with him. I think it's less likely he's a top 12 receiver when this offseason, like, I really thought he was... 
you know, top five fairly easily based on what he had done before. But I am trying to remember more than anything else, this is the first time he was below his personal average of elite. And that's not bad. That's really not terrible. Remember, like I said about rookies, we're about to spend three months discussing players who might be good that we know almost nothing about. So let's... (laughs) So the one thing I want to keep in mind is one thing I do know about Juju Smith-Schuster, he is definitely good at the NFL level. He's definitely been elite at the NFL level. And he's actually only produced one season less than being elite at any level. I'm not panicking on Juju Smith-Schuster. And if there's a buying window, yeah, I'm open to it. Um, but let me know. Uh, contact us at Dynasty Crossroads on Twitter. Own me there too. There's, far, far, there's not enough owning me on the crossroads and being on on every other part I come here no one owns me so please um let me know why I'm wrong how you feel if I didn't answer a question or interested in another aspect of Judas Mishus 2019 I didn't get to it let me know and I'll try and address that one too um but thanks guys I will talk to you again next week and see you next time at the crossroads yeah Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfold, so. Jake on the table and they on the play, so. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Picking my nose, don't really know if I like that. Picking their brains, got different lanes, but I like that. Picking these guys, all of these times, all of these nice stats. Picking apart, the film is an art, always a fight back and forth. There is no order, they disorder more and more because the players ain't no older. They some hoarders or some mortars, dropping bombs without no borders. They got that eye like mortar, peak grinding numbers like molars. I don't know anymore, I am at a crossroads. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical. Chicken a crow, chicken a crow, crossing the road, go. Clicking a poll, Twitter is gold, player unfolds. So, Jake on the table and they on the place, though. Pete enumerates the plays, they're analytical.